The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, though, I want to talk about COP27. More than 120 world leaders arriving in Egypt this week to take part in uh, this uh, climate change summit. Saiv O'Neill is with me. Saiv is a researcher at UCD and she's a climate activist as well. She's attending this year's COP representing Friends of the Irish Environment. Uh, Saiv, you're very welcome. What is on the agenda? Well, that is the question. So the uh, delegates spent the first couple of days actually before the COP even started uh, hammering out a final deal as to what they were going to talk about. So a lot of developing countries have come to this year's COP after a year of record extreme weather events and flooding that's killed thousands of people in Africa, pa- Pakistan and other countries as well. And they've come to the COP seeking a new uh, financial mechanism to support loss and damage. So unlike the financial agreements that are already in place, not that the developed world has completely stepped up and paid up what they were owing, um, loss and damage is really about compensating developing countries for irreversible losses, loss of you know economic uh, uh, profitability and so on, and also loss of life. So it, loss of infrastructure, the kind of um, losses that Pakistan has experienced, for example, in recent months, they reckon about thirty billion dollars uh, worth of damage has been experienced there. So the idea behind the loss and damage is that it would allow vulnerable developing countries essentially to get compensation from the rich, developed, high emitting countries that have really contributed to most of the problem. But of course, that's a big sticking point at the talks because developed countries don't want to be opening up the possibility of them being sued for compensation um, as climate havoc you know, uh, it gets worse around the world. So so ha- has that managed to make it onto the agenda then? Or have the developed nations of the world said, no, we're not even going to talk about that? So they, they, they agreed a, a wording of what was going to be discussed that rules out the possibility of compensation, but that opens up a, a, a kind of a, a work programme, if you like, for a new financial mechanism that would be separate to the adaptation fund. So basically at the, at the COP, you've got three main strands of tension, if you like, between the global north and south. First is on mitigation, who's responsible for all the emissions, who can do the fastest work to reduce emissions. Then you've got adaptation, which is about helping particularly developing countries uh, cope with lower crop yields, uh, desertification, flood damage, and that kind of thing. That's around infrastructure and also sort of tools and capacity and finance, essentially. And then the loss and damage would be a third strand. So they want to keep that funding, whatever is coming with it, uh, very much separate from the adaptation fund. So that will require a lot of teasing out. And Mm. the Irish government has been supportive of all of this, has been quite facilitative of all the dialogue, but is also, you know, kind of warning that, you know, developed countries aren't going to agree to something that will leave them open to legal challenge. And is that likely to be the big talking point of this COP? I mean, people will remember last year in Glasgow and there was kind of uh, targets talked about and some targets set down, others left a little up in the air. Uh, um, I mean, is every COP about setting new targets or or are there kind of, there are there more important COPs than others? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because yes, that would be the case. So for example, last year um, was the fifth anniversary of the Paris Agreement, or sorry, that would have been twenty. 20- 
2020, but of course it was postponed yeah. to, uh, to last year, 2021. And that was an important milestone in terms of, you know, assessing progress and looking to see if, if changes needed to be made. And, and important decisions were made at last year's COP. The parties uh, agreed that 1.5 should be the new goal because since the Paris Agreement was originally adopted, new scientific information has come to light, highlighting the dangers of 1.5 degrees of warming. So that the original goal of keeping warming below two degrees was considered to be, you know, too, uh, too dangerous. So, you know, and there was a, a push to get countries to ratchet up their ambitions to produce new plans. But this year's COP is slightly different in that we don't expect many new announcements. There might be some progress in relation to climate finance or loss and damage, but it's not going to be on the scale of what was agreed at Glasgow. Very often these meetings um, are kind of catching up on uh, work programmes that are going on for years. Um, so not every year is full of razzmatazz and new announcements and new pledges. The important thing is that this COP, which was declared by the Egyptian host to be an implementation COP, focuses on exactly that, implementation, because we're falling short on every measure, whether it's climate finance or emission reductions. So what will be the metric for success when it comes to this COP? Well, it would be great to see language at the end of the COP that recognise the need to phase out fossil fuel uh, use, both the, the fossil fuels themselves and also fossil fuel subsidies. Last year's text was watered down at the last minute, and that, that led to sort of a lot of, you know, fudging language in relation to coal, particularly. It would be uh, great if there was a recognition that countries that have contributed most to the problem need to step up with their mitigation plans most urgently. And that, you know, there would be, a, you know, a serious effort to get to the $100 billion of climate finance every year that was promised originally back in 29, uh, 2009. Now, to date, that target hasn't been reached and mm. it's not expected to be reached uh, until 2024, 2025, which is just far too late. And in fact, new research by Carbon Brief shows that some of the biggest emitter countries, the US, UK, Canada and Australia, have fallen billions of dollars short of what would be their fair share of that 100 billion. So clearly the, the fingers need to be pointed directly at the largest emitters who happen to be also the wealthiest and some of the most powerful countries in the UN system. Are there more and more people openly talking now about mitigation rather than prevention and learning to live with 1.5 to 2 as opposed to keeping it below 1.5? Well, I think the, the, the events of this year have highlighted that even though the climate science is very uh, certain around certain, um, you know, uh, what we can expect with, uh, with certain temperature rises, it cannot predict the local impacts. It cannot mm. predict, you know, very fine-grained kind of weather scenarios. So scientists themselves have been shocked by the severity of the events that have unfolded this year. And it seems like the climate is just taking a big shift in, in many different directions. And that extremes of weather that we were anticipating to see in 20 years time are happening now. Yeah. And that includes, by, for example, the very mild uh, autumn weather we've experienced in, in Northern Europe this year. So mitigation needs to happen, absolutely, because we're on track to three degrees of warming unless we bring those emissions right down to net zero. But the second thing is that climate change is with us now. We have over 1.1 degrees of warming already baked in 
But that's the kind of global average on land and in certain areas and the, the, the polar areas and also in, in uh, high altitude regions, the temperature changes are much higher than that. And that means that you can expect very significant climate events happening in coming years that we need to prepare for straight away. So from an Irish point of view, we should be uh, anticipating and preparing for sea level rise, storm surges, flooding, extreme um, rainfall events. And, we, you know, we've seen little examples of it already. I think it was gory just last week that experienced a kind of dramatic downpour that, you know, resulted in localised flooding. And those kind of events might become a lot more common. So we're going to need to develop the infrastructure and sort of tools to adapt to that without adding to the problem by pouring more concrete and creating um, massive expensive infrastructure that only shifts the water around. So we have to enable the land to soak up the additional rain uh, in those kind of scenarios. But that requires shift in thinking and resourcing mm. and a lot more research as well. All right. Well, listen, uh, Saif, thanks a million for joining us. And, and we might speak again uh, throughout the week. Saif O'Neill is a researcher at UCD, climate activist, and she's attending this year's COP in Egypt, representing Friends of the Irish Environment. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.